Hello, Athlete Mindset community. This is Lisa Bontasumi, the host of Athlete Mindset. Before we dive into this episode, I want to invite you to support the mission and purpose of our show. For $10 a month, you can help to make sure these conversations get to as many athletes, teams, coaches, and sport mental health environments as possible. As a subscriber, you will receive exclusive content and updates on current topics in athlete mental health, and you'll be directly contributing to the betterment of mental health for all athletes. Join the cause. Subscribe at sportse.io slash athlete and make a difference today. Again, that's sportse.io slash athlete. With your support and amplification, we can ensure more voices are heard and more individuals and communities are positively impacted. Welcome, everybody. I'm super excited to be hosting a talk chat discussion with Mr. Amobi Akugo. He's a 10 plus year professional soccer player turned athlete entrepreneur creator, speaker, and facilitator. So uh, welcome, Amobi. Uh, thank you for having me. So it's a pleasure to finally get connected with you. I mean, we've been connected, but be on your platform. No, thank you. Yes, yes. We've been connected in ways that we didn't even realize. We both grew up in Sacramento in different generations. I'm a little bit older than you, but uh, <laughs> we know Sacramento. We know each other's high schools. So it's so cool to kind of like be here together and to highlight you and the work that you've done and are doing. So I'm, I'm excited to have you here. Just let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Okugo. He is, you know, as I said, a professional soccer player, but he had humble beginnings. Actually, I'm going to have him tell us. How did you discover soccer or did soccer just discover you? Yeah, I like to say soccer was always going to happen at some point. You know, being okay. first Nigerian-American, soccer was the sport of our country. My uncle my parents, you know, played growing up. We watched the Nigerian national team at the Olympics and the World Cup. So soccer was going to happen by force or by fire, like I like to say. But yeah, it just grew into a, a career. But it wasn't like you're going to play soccer to go pro. It was just soccer is what we did as a family. And, you know, it was a great way to, you know, build relationships, stay active and, you know, learn life lessons. And um, that's kind of how it developed. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Soccer, the sport of your country. But you did end up playing at a high level as a young guy, actually went on to UCLA on a full ride scholarship and then played in the MLS. But let's back it up. So I know you and I have chatted a little bit about like soccer in the U.S. and how to enter it as a high performing youth elite player and that your parents didn't really know about how to do that here. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, most definitely. So I started off with like my local school team, you know, played for the school team. In fact, in kindergarten, we had an A and a B team. And because no one could pronounce my name, I was on the B team until we played the A team and we beat them. And then we somehow decided to combine team, which was a unique proposition. But yeah, so I was going to literally play for my school team until some of the classmates' parents or my teammate's parents were telling my parents, like, you know, there's like a higher level for your son that he should probably be exploring. They have these things called competitive soccer teams. And we just got out for the local uh, competitive soccer team. And then that's when a whole new lane opened up for me. But soccer in the States is unique and that has so many different levels, so many different avenues. And 
you really just need to have the information or the wherewithal to even know about it because I was just playing for the local school team. Yeah. And again, for the fun of it, because it's just what you did. So Exactly. Right? And then so you play competitively and then what happened before you went to UCLA as a young guy? You were you traveled to Florida to play, if I'm correct. Yeah. So just to backtrack, so started mm-hmm. with a competitive team. Then I tried out for like ODP, you mm-hmm. know, did all that, the whole circuit. And then from there, I got invited to the U14 national team program. So I was part of the youth national teams, which led me to ultimately go into residency when I was eligible for the U17 national team program, which is essentially boarding school for the top 40 under 17 eligible or whatever that cycle is, under 17 eligible youth players, youth national team players. So I went to residency. We were at IMG Academy, Bradenton, Florida, basically workout, soccer, school, travel the world, eat. (laughs) Period. I mean... (laughs) That was essentially it. So I I like to tell people, like, I saw what it was like to be a pro at a very young age, even um, though I wasn't getting for it, but being in that environment where iron sharpens iron, exposed to, like, the best resources at that available time, you know, from world-class trainers to mental conditioning, you know, imagine that at 14, 15 years right, old, right. to get that, that head start, you know, top-level coaches, and then that's ultimately what led me to UCLA and um, go from there. Yeah. So, okay. As a mom, I have a teenage girl at 16 and I have an eight-year-old boy. My heart would absolutely break to have <laughs> one of my 14-year-old kids go away from me. I mean, we're both in California now and I'm, I live in California. And for, for one of my kids to go all the way, I mean, anyway, I could go on and on. But like to go all the way there, I know it's a good reason. My heart would still break and I would love it. How was it for your family? I mean, how was it for you? Did you get homesick? How was it for them? Yeah, it was tough because I'm the firstborn. So I yeah. know like, originally my mom had, you know, just hesitation. Like, is this of worth course. it? But looking at all the factors that go into it, like these are unique opportunities that you can't yes. down. And they did a great job of making sure that we'd get back to our home environment when necessary, like during the holiday breaks, during different gaps between our like cycles, like with tournaments and stuff. And, you know, at that time, it was a good excuse for my parents to finally give me a phone. So, you know, (laughs) phone and a computer. Uh, There's that. (laughs) So it was a win-win. I was able to get a phone and uh, we just, you know, on phone conversations. Skype was uh, popular. Oh, not Skype. Skype, though. Skype. I'm Mm -hmm. aging myself with Skype. So, but that's basically it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, on a serious tip, I know that like a lot of athletes, especially at that level that you were like, it's not all glitz and glory, right? There is such thing as being homesick. There's such a thing as missing home, trusting other adults to help. I mean, they were raising you, not just as an athlete, but as a young kid, as a person. And so who were the mentors or like what roles did the academy have for you at that time to kind of help you with growing up, not just on the field? No, that's a great point. I would say for me, just the being in an environment with other young players that are trying to become their best selves, yeah. that just pushed you to become or reach the highest level that you could reach. So whether it's like, you know, making sure you're eating right, making sure you're doing the extra work necessary, that was a big change for me because, you know, sometimes you're always tired of le- being the one to lead the pack. Mm. You know, back in second was the one being the one that leading the pack. Mm. But now I had, well, that I had to kind of chase 
to make sure I'm staying on pace with the development of the group, but also the development of myself to make sure I'm making the team. And while that, you know, that could, for a young kid, that could put you in a tough environment like that pressure. FC program did a great job with our mental conditioning coach and the resources for mentors and stuff. So rest in peace to Trevor Moad. He's Mm -hmm. like a famous mental health clinician. He's done a lot of stuff with big powerhouse college programs. He was Russell Wilson's main guy before he passed. But we were able to work with him when we were 13 and 14. So like to get that level of resources at that young age, he was a great, you know, person to lean on when, you know, oh my gosh, like I might not make the next round of cuts. Like how do I handle that pressure? Or, you know, we have to qualify for the World Cup to in order to make it to the, you know, so having that as a resource was very big, but also being able to be in an environment with your your friends and teammates is good because you can push each other, but you know help each other out when uh, times are tough. For sure, no, that's great. I'm so glad that they set you up with that resource and that learning, and that takes you into. I mean, that's learning beyond the pitch, right? Like I'm sure as we get into kind of what you're doing now, it's helped you because I I feel like you're. I mean, I hope you don't mind me saying like very like mature, like and wise beyond your your age. And I think that as I learn more about you, I get it. I know why. Because you grew up fast. You grew up in an environment, right? And and you had to kind of like lean into that and show up to it and rise to the occasion. And I'm glad that they did that in a way that they did it with support. I know that a lot of organizations or tracks or pathways might not offer that. But I wish I had something like that when I was young. I wish, you know, a lot of our youth have access to it. And my hope is that they do. So, I mean, you're an example of how it can benefit on and off the pitch later in life. So fast forward, you got a scholarship to UCLA. And after your freshman year, got drafted into the pros. What went into your decision making at that point to like make that choice? To be honest, it just happened quick. It just everything okay. happened quickly. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go to UCLA for a year and go pro. Gotcha. I, mean, I had opportunities to go pro out of high school and before going to UCLA, but my parents were very big on education as mm-hmm. a, was I. And I was like, all right, at least enjoy or see what it's like. But we ended up having a really good season. We went pretty far and I played, you know, fairly well to get noticed. And it just happened. Like the contract that I was offered was uh, a Generation Adidas contract and they made it where mm. I was able to get reimbursed or they had an education stipend. So I, I wouldn't essentially be keeping my scholarship, but being able to be able to go pro at a younger age. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I decided to, you know, strike while the iron was hot and, and, and go pro. And that's kind of what happened. I'm just laughing because it sounds like so easy. And I know it wasn't, I know it wasn't, but it's like, oh, everybody can do this because Amobi did. But like, there's a lot that goes behind the scenes and a, a lot of discussion. I'm sure nothing's planned, but you played across several teams over your 12-year career, Philadelphia, Orlando, Kansas City, et cetera, and including the Olympic qualifying team in 2012. What did you learn on the pitch that actually helped you develop as a person? Oh, you know? that's a good question. I would yeah. say on the pitch, you learn how to navigate different people mm. from different, how people respond to criticism, how people get motivated, mm. different ethnicities, different cultural upbringings. And like to be able to mesh that all together, whether you think of it as like a melting pot or like a salad, because everyone has their own different ingredient to mm. how they, 
and makeup as a player in mm-hmm. on the field, off the field. And how do you do that to win? I think that's the biggest thing I've learned. And I've definitely taken that over to my post-career opportunities in business, like in terms of networking, in terms of making people feel comfortable, in terms of being able to relate. I feel mm. like I'm pretty good at that, and that's because of soccer. Like mm. soccer, global game, and you have different formations, different people, different coaches, different environments, different structures. And I've taken that on the field and applied it to off the field, and has been fairly successful so far. I love that. I think that you being able to relate to different people from all walks of life, all different cultures, all different experiences does make you accessible and easy for them to relate to you because you can vibe them or like relate and like find that that common place and take it to the next level. I think that's really, I mean, I don't think people realize that that is like a skill that you've learned and were forced to learn by be putting right into it. So I think that's amazing. So tell us about your current work. You have, and even while you were playing, you had a hunger for learning and entrepreneurship. Where did that come from? Uh, just my curiosity. You know, growing mm-hmm. up, I've always been, you know, interested in business and entrepreneurship. Like in elementary school, I was selling extra chicken wings to make my money because I didn't get an allowance. But, you know, growing up and finally going pro you know, and then coming into my own money, it was just more about how can I look for athletes that I can use as a roadmaps to, you know, build my own career mm. playing, you know, just the mesh between, you know, what I like to do and what I want to do. And that's kind of how I fell into the space of, you know, business development, strategic partnerships, content creation and strategy. And uh, the sectors that I'm um, passionate about, obviously, personal finance with the frugal athlete, but then, yep. you know, business development and marketing with some of the other ventures that I'm involved in. Awesome. Tell us more about the Frugal Athlete. Yeah, so Frugal Athlete is essentially an online financial media platform where we help athletes, both professional and students, to learn more about, you know, prudent financial practices and smart career decisions. So we want to help athletes make, manage, and multiply their money through athlete empowerment and financial literacy. Nice. So breaking that down for anybody who's new to the topic, any student athletes out there, professional athletes who want to get behind their money and feel confident? Tell me the name. How come frugal athlete? Why frugal? When I was a rookie or like a younger athlete, a lot of my teammates would make fun of me saying I was cheap. And uh, I would tell them, I'm like, no, I'm frugal. And the biggest difference is that as someone that's frugal, you're efficient. So it's not to say that you're not going to spend money, but you do it efficiently, economically, and prudently. So mm. it has value and you're not just spending money frivolously you're not cheap in terms of like you're just going to buy the cheapest thing where you're going to have to spend eventually spend more money Mm -hmm. to make up for it but you're just Mm -hmm. efficient in how you handle your money handle the decisions that you make and i think as an athlete you need to be frugal in how you go about it because Mm. the career only lasts so long so how are you going to be efficient and leverage and squeeze the juice out of your career. And that's kind of the approach I, I take by that, by that. No, I love it. I love it. I <laughs> I know. I was like, am I cheap right now? Or maybe, no, I'm not cheap. I'm frugal. But I think the way that, that you're defining it is that there's a piece of intentionality and mindfulness behind spending, saving, exactly. investing, whatever it is you do with your money that you're thoughtful, right, about it. Most definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. 
So where do you start with a, a student athlete or professional athlete when you start talking about finance? Because we know it's, it can be very personal. It can be embarrassing. It can be because they don't know or they just blew a bunch of money. Like, where do you start with somebody? No, that's a great question. I think the biggest thing is like understanding a lot of people, when they talk about financial literacy, they only want to talk about like the budget, save more than you spend. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and that's all good and well, but let, let's get into it from a holistic standpoint. So, we mm-hmm. say, you know, what's your relationship with money? How did you grow up with money? What does money mean to you? Your emotions around money? What's your money love language? And then obviously the basics, because, you know, before you can shoot threes, you have to learn how to make a layup and free throw. So, that's kind of the holistic approach we take from it. And then once we can build that up, then now we know how what to attack, you know. So based on what you want to do with your money or how it makes you feel, now we know, all right, maybe there are certain triggers that we need to avoid or we need to like, you know, harness and kind of go from there. We I love it because I'm gonna tease you right now. You're like a financial therapist. Because it's like you gotta learn the emotion and psychology behind how you relate to money before you can even engage with it. So I think that's really, really amazing. I look forward to some of the work we might partner on and do together to help each other, you know, help our person or our people to get where they want to go from that psychological financial place. So can you give us a scenario, of course, not naming names or anything, starting with that? Like, let's say someone, you interviewed them around that, they did tell you about their financial love language. They did tell you about their relationship with the money, their childhood with money. Give me a scenario with those answers. And then how would you approach it like with your top three main ways of approaching it with them? Oh, that's a great question. I think, uh, and I love the scenario. So we'll say player X, he or she grew up having to be, you know, the responsible one in the family. Mm-hmm. So now they've made it pro. And uh-huh. everyone relies on them to take care of every, everything. So they're almost like, you know, everyone talks about generational wealth and passing it down to the next generation. Uh-huh. Well, in this situation, you're passing it back instead of passing it forward. So uh-huh. they feel overwhelmed and they're dealing with emotional blackmail where friends, family are like, yo, remember when I took you to practice or like I was there when, you know, coaches weren't scouting you, blah, 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 blah. And now you have an emotional blackmail where you feel the guilt success of making it. Uh-huh. And you're having a hard time saying no. And uh-huh. you can't pour from an empty cup, but you're always pouring to other people's cup and you don't have money left over for your own things. And this is a typical scenario that athletes deal with. So we'd go with understanding like, all right, why is it a problem to say no? And this is tough. Like, how are you going to tell your close family member no? Like, so here are some like ways to set boundaries. Here are some ways to say no without saying no. Here are some people that you should consider having in your corner so that they can be like the fall guy, you know, almost good cop, bad cop, where it's like, yo, yeah, most definitely. But I don't even handle my own money or you do, but you want to push them off to your financial advisor oh. or, uh-huh. or whoever it is and have them be like, oh, no, because this, this and this, they can't do it. Or you come to me with the proper plan and I'll share it back, you know, almost kind of build a moat around you and then uh-huh. kind of go from So that's kind of like one scenario that we do, something as simple as even helping an athlete with a budget so that they can create, you know, they grew up understanding that money doesn't grow on trees. You have to work to get your money. And then now they've come into abundance of it. So maybe they spend more than they really need. So uh-huh. I was trying to figure out, all 
all right, we're not going to say you shouldn't have your desserts or you shouldn't, you know, spoil yourself. You know, every kid needs to touch the hot stove to learn that it's hot. You know, a parent mm. tells them it's, they don't listen. They got to touch it. So we just want to make sure, all right, you could touch the hot stove just to know, but we're not going to let you burn yourself. Mm. So help them understand, like, here's your budget and all right, here's the money allocated for you to do whatever you want with it. If you want to spend money on the latest Jordans or you want to go on vacation, perfect. But you only can take it from this allocated section because everything else is taken care of. You save money for your investment, save money for your emergency fund, save money for your expenses, save money for your taxes. All right, this money here is for your wants or your needs, however you want to design it, and go crazy. But only if this stuff is taken care of. So uh-huh. that's where we help out. We're not financial advisors where we're going to help them in terms of what to invest in. And, you know, you need to put money in the 401k and the stocks. We definitely have information around that, but we aren't licensed. So we are more, like you said earlier, financial coaches, financial therapists, uh-huh. accountability partners from a financial and career standpoint. Uh-huh. So even if relationships in like venture capital or real estate or job transition, we help facilitate those partnerships as well. That's amazing. It's amazing. That's where we, you know, we point them out to you. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. I love the holistic way that you see it and so many ways that, yeah, we can support together to create that holistic experience. I mean, I think what you're talking about is like setting boundaries, being able to say no, but in a, in a kind way, strategies to approach that pressure and that pressure to say yes when you know it's not good for you and how do you still re- can maintain those relationships i love building a moat so it's possible you can cross in and out of it but it's got to be again intentional mindful and skillful because these are things i talk about with my athletes when it comes to relationships and your relationship with money is is no different and your relationship with the people who want access to your money with good intentions maybe but just not understanding where you're at, just because you have money doesn't mean you're just going to spend it because somebody asks. You know what I mean? And like uh, equipping and empowering your athletes to have a good way to set those boundaries without feeling bad and falling into sort of the imposter syndrome piece or the guilt and all the way that that goes because it can really, really paralyze a person. So I love the approach. I love the approach. If you were to do a talk, from your, you know, from your frugal athlete platform to now young ones, 14-year-olds coming into academy, same situation you were in. What would be like a couple points that you would talk to them about at that age, 14, starting to be independent, have their own phone, have their own computer, like you said, like what would be basics for like that age? From a financial standpoint or holistic, like everything? Financial. Let's start with financial and it can grow. I would say... Get your order of operations because they're not really, I mean, they don't have money yet. So I'll definitely say get, you know, understanding of, I like to call it the money order of operations rather than just the, the, the math order of operations where you have PEMDAS and math is parentheses, exponents, multiplication, uh, division, addition, subtraction. But my own version with uh, Frugal Athlete is we go, all right, primary source of income for the P expenses and emergency fund for the E, multiple sources of income for M, diversification for D, A is assets, and then S is your spending habits and savings goals. So if you can understand that, obviously at that age, you don't have money. 
But if you have that basic understanding, I think that's the first step. The second step would be understanding what you like to do and then what you're good at and finding ways to make money in that space. You're an athlete. So obviously you're not going to be an athlete forever, whether it stops at high school, stops at college or stops after you're pro. How can you use sports as a vehicle to get to where you want to go and then finding out what you're good at versus combined with what you like to do and finding an avenue for that. So I tell people sports is one of the few things that literally connects anything, real estate, merch, apparel, design, law, health, food, anything you want in life is connected to sport data in one way or another. So how can you use sports as a vehicle to open up those avenues? And I definitely think not enough athletes are thinking like that in terms of leveraging the great unifier that sports is. Yeah. And a way to, to take advantage of that. No, I think that's a valuable 14, 16, 18, 24, 34, that, the <laughs> way that you approach it. Like, and I think to start those conversations early is really good. So I have a story like when I think it's 13, 12, here in California, the earliest you can have a bank account, the earliest age, I think is 12 with the parent. Oh, so, yeah. Is that right? Am I right? It's 12. I can't I'm remember sure. now. So I took my daughter. We made a big deal out of it. We made a big deal out of it. We went to Bank of America in person. We sat down with a person to help us. She got to choose her, her card, her, her debit card, the image on it. She had a discussion. I had her prepare questions. We did a thing where they helped her learn how to use the ATM. We stood in line and did like a mock thing, like as if she had a question about her account, how to do it. I took pictures the whole time. Love that. Love yeah. That. I took her out to lunch afterward. This was a rite of passage because I never was taught that. I never had value for money in this day and age. You don't touch the cash, really. It's just this yeah. number on a screen, right, that goes up and down. And so I, taught her how to balance her account, how to write down everything like by hand. And so I think the value of money and your relationship to it can start really early. And if you're having conversations like the one you're having with a up and coming student athlete and at that age, it already start, plants the seeds for how you're going to relate. And it's part of their story already. Right. And so yeah. I want her to remember that. I show her, I was like, remember this? Maybe you, I have her outside, like pointing at the ATM machine and her card, like, bam. Um, <laughs> but I think what you're also talking about is athletic identity. Knowing what your sport can do for you because you're putting so much into it, right? Like the sport is a vehicle. I love that. Like you could do any other interest and express any other identity within sports after you stop being a player. And like, recognizing that, not being naive to that and taking full advantage of it. I think a yeah. lot of my, the players I work with, I don't know if you've found this, Amobi, is that like, oh, if I start developing other interests or like have other identities, my coach or my teammates are going to feel like I'm not really invested in my, in my sport or my team. And so that's actually a big conversation I have a lot of times that, you know, I would love if you've heard of that, like what are your approaches to help support that process? of multiple identities, even while you're still playing. No, that's a great point. I think for me, in a perfect world, like it's important. And I go back and forth. Well, actually, I don't really go back and forth on this. Like as a young 
student athlete or a young individual, I think kids should play multiple sports and uh-huh. get tied to one lane. Uh-huh. And I, within the sport, I think coaches and staff and executives definitely need to do a better job or promote more around holistic development outside of just you need to be better on the field. Because uh-huh. I think if you're off the field, it'll help your performance on the field. So engaging them off the field with off the field activities, different things. I know we did like ropes course one time, just to uh-huh. do that. But like tapping into like when you're traveling into these different environments, different cities, different countries, making sure you spend time for like sightseeing or like going to historical. Uh-huh. And like, obviously you want to be there and perform at the highest level, but these are moments you're never going to get back. So how are ways you can implement yourself in the culture or learn about something new, challenge yourself more than just on the field? Because that all translates to your performance on the field, I feel like. And I think for me, that's something that we did to a certain extent, but we definitely could have done more. Like by the time I was 20, I'd been, I'd been over to over like 20 countries. But wow. if I were to like the like nuances of those environments, i tell you uh, but you know now that i'm a little bit older whenever i'm going to a new environment i definitely try to make sure i immerse myself within reason you know still want to stay safe but want to immerse yourself in the environment learn about something new you know different things like that so i think the biggest thing would to be develop young people holistically rather than just they need to get better on the field for sure and I love that you're saying that when you do that, you actually perform better on the field. So it's a win-win. Oh, yeah. It's a definitely a win-win. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I think that even now, obviously, I'm not a player anymore, but I'm still working sports. And my work in sports takes me to travel as well. Like I was in earlier this year, Jordan and Egypt. I'd never oh. been to Islamic countries before. And like yeah. my sport took me there. Like I was on this ex- soccer exchange with a bunch of other cool Americans coming into these countries and these environments and being able to like experience it. So like soccer and travel doesn't end when you're a player, you can still do it. Right. And you and I travel a lot. So we both know that. And I think it's really, really cool. We can bring our experiences of travel prior to travel now and feel comfortable doing that. Like it's a skill to navigate all of that. And so again, super cool. And I think what you're talking about too is that athletic identity doesn't mean like you you have to like pick up the cello and and become a cellist and like be really, really good at it. It's actually your identity as a global person, as a human of our of our world and like being able to intersect across different groups of people, different countries, different religions, languages is all super cool. And I think that is a, a human experience that everybody should have. Is there anything else you want to share about your experience, your work, the frugal athletes, anything that you would want any of my listeners or, or your listeners to hear about or know about? No, no, I think this is it. I think you covered a lot on terms of like the, the nuances for athletes. And I appreciate you, you know, asking some great questions. And I think I shared quite a bit. I definitely know people will be seeing a lot more of us together moving forward so excited for what we can continue to develop but yeah definitely feel like shared all that needed to be shared awesome more to come in different platforms i mean i think that 
I want everybody to know that Amobi and I are multidimensional. Like everybody's like, aren't you a therapist? Like, why are you on a podcast? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, don't you know that there are different ways that I can express myself with the skills that I have as a therapist or a mental performance coach, mental conditioning coach, that I would be doing myself an injustice if I didn't go out in different ways and express myself because that's where I feel like I'm in my purpose. And then that's where I can touch different people and in different ways. So I know what the question's coming from, but don't be like trying to keep me in a box because I, I will not stay there. <laughs> and so you I do. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that to me. <laughs> so yes, I'm looking forward to more of the work that we are. We're aligned in a lot of different ways. And so people watch out. Here we come. But thank you again. I appreciate your representation, your voice, everything that you do. It's important to me and the communities I'm involved in. So just thanks for being you. And I appreciate you being here with me. Uh, thanks for making the time and looking forward to seeing this come live. Athlete Mindset is part of the CasSource Podcast Network. At CasSource, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're growing this one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you by searching CasSource on your social media app of choice. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network, the CasSource Podcast Network.